0: not
1: touch this. Can't
0: touch this. Can't touch this. so Oh my Lord, thank you. For me. Mind you running,
1: hey everybody, welcome to Stop Homer Time. It's a podcast within a podcast, which is the overdue podcast, which is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And we have a special episode of Stop Homer Time for y'all this month. Andrew, what did we do? You th-
0: I bet you thought that we were going to finish the Odyssey this week. I month. thought, I did think that. You're right. And in reality we're not doing that. So what we did because we live in the city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, city of gritty, which is also the city that Emily Wilson, translator of our version of the Odyssey lives. So we talked with her. Yeah, we sent her in, we we <laughs> she tweeted at us a couple times, kind of bemoaning our our pronunciation but expressing support for our general vibe (laughs) yes
2: which is good and
1: so we reached out and she was kind enough to spend an hour or so with us chatting about translation and parts of the story that she was interested in Um, and
0: that telemachus is just everybody's large adult son he's such a i was i was i was thrilled to learn that our read of telemachus was the correct one
1: (laughs) Uh, so yeah that's what we have for you this month and then next month we will wrap up the story um, and have some final thoughts for y'all
0: and we'll also be announcing our next project it it will not be stop homer time is is gonna go on hiatus it's gonna be something else but i think you'll like what we've come up with
1: we will continue this monthly deep dive and we are excited to share it with you
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, everybody, enjoy our interview with Emily Wilson.
1: Well, great, Emily. Thanks for joining us um, for this special episode of Stop Homer Time.
2: (laughs) Um, Starting to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah. So
1: so it's me, Craig, and Andrew from Overdue, uh, and with us is Emily Wilson, who is the professor of classical studies and the graduate chair uh, of the program in comparative literature and literary theory at the University of Pennsylvania. Which is where we are right now. Uh, thank you, Zach in the control booth for making this happen. Um, and for any of our listeners who don't know, um, Emily studied at Oxford and Yale university and then was named a fellow of the American Academy in Rome um, in Renaissance and early modern scholarship. And she is the translator of the edition of the Odyssey that we've spent working on for almost a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, when we found out that you were local to Philadelphia, we had to reach out. So thank you again it's for taking the time. To to <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Andrew, do you
0: wanna start with just like I do wanna start
1: the first question here?
0: <laughs> so I was a classics major in undergrad. I was not great at it, but okay. but I did have some experience um painstakingly translating stuff from Latin into English. And I just wanted to get a sense from you of what your process is, like translating Greek to English. Um, for just like the average passage in in the Odyssey or any of the other things that you've you've translated, like where do you where do you start and and how does the process go?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe before I even get to that, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's fascinating how with Latin and, and ancient Greek, we sort of talk about the beginning stages of language learning as translation, mm-hmm. right? Which is weird because that's not what you say when like when you when you start taking French, you don't say I'm. Painstakingly, sure. I translate Camus <laughs> today. I just produced a new translation of of Baudelaire. No, you don't. You don't say that, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, you say I'm I'm learning to I'm I'm reading Camus or whatever, sure. which I think is. So I think it sort of can, people can get confused and think that, that what a translator does is the same thing as what the student does at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And for me, the process isn't really like that. I mean, what I do is I read and reread the original. If there are words where I don't feel like I fully understand the connotations, I look them up in dictionaries, I mm-hmm. look up where where else is that word used in Homer, mm-hmm. where else is it used in Greek, I read commentaries, and then I write out a, I very often do a like a, a translation by hand in a notebook first, because I kind of like using a notebook, and I feel like I write differently if I'm writing by hand versus on the computer, and then I write it up on the laptop. I, I go through multiple different drafts, I do lots of, uh, lots of reading out loud in the process, because I want the rhythm to be right. Sure. Um, I mean, so I've been asked before, like whether I do a a prose translation first and then turn it into poetry, and Mm -hmm. I don't do that. It wouldn't occur to me to do that. It would be kind of weird, right? (laughs) I don't feel like it needs to be sort of filtered through something which it isn't. What I want to do is, from the start, try and um, mirror whatever I'm hearing in the Mm -hmm. original, and then try and get better at you know, doing what I think it's doing.
0: Is there ever a, a time when the meter sort of affects the the word choice that you that you choose? Because I know you've talked about how, like, every single word has, like, a hundred different meanings, and then right. you want to get the intent of what of what Homer is trying to to, to do as well. So, yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I guess all the time, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there, are, there are words which you can't put into an iambic line, or at least <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to do. Um yeah, I mean, it's not like there's there's ever an occasion when I'm not thinking about meter as well as everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you experience it like when you are reading the Greek? Are you doing that translation in your head, or is like, are you experiencing it like a Greek reader, if like a, a reader of ancient Greek, if that even makes sense?
3: Um, I, d- I don't think I'm, I mean I don't <laughs> delude myself that I'm actually going to go to Greece, but I n- know I don't do translation in my head, I and mean, I, I do. And I'm sort of trying to pay attention to the sounds of the words, which, of course, are going to be completely different from the sounds that I'm going to create in English. But I'm trying to sort of be as fully immersed in the original as possible before I then try and create, you know, something else that somebody else could be immersed in. Yeah, sure.
1: How do you balance that, like getting, when you're doing the translation itself and you're trying to get to the original Greek intent or as close as you can, how do you balance that with... Picking words that are going to achieve your goals as a as a writer here in the twenty first mm-hmm. century.
3: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean that's the that's, work, right? But the like... work. Yes. How do I do that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I,
2: uh, <laughs> these are good <laughs> questions. The conversation's over.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea to answer any of these questions. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's. <sighs> I mean, I guess for one thing, what's Homer's intention? Who was Homer anyway? That's a whole other thing, which um, presumably you've talked about a lot. Um, (laughs) But then also just I I wanted to have some of the poetic, sonic, as well as qualitative and psychological qualities. I mean, all these different kinds of qualities that 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 are there in the original but I might not be able to achieve those qualities by the same means. I mean, it might be that here I am, I realize that there's a lot of long O sounds in this line and I can't actually come up with words that mean the right things that are also gonna have long O sounds. You know, mm-hmm. I might have to do something completely different but I want to have some kind of verbal effect. Um, or it might be that I there is no sort of word that exactly has the connotations that I need so I'm gonna to have to go with some other word and then I somehow ha- try and fill in with other words some of the gap, but, but I'm, I'm, of course there's always these compromises, every single sentence is mm-hmm. a set of compromises. Sure, sure. And yeah. you're
1: always, you, you've said that you were kind of on ready, you know, tuning out every other translation while you were I working did, yes. on yours. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. you kind of come out and realize certain authors are grouping around certain phrases mm-hmm. or anything like that. Or were there any that stood out to you as like, why did they all choose this mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe what what you found?
3: Right, I mean, I guess I haven't looked at. I looked closely at every single line in, you know, the seventy other translations yeah. I don't know there are in English. <laughs> and even, no, only I mean, in English. yeah, Only yeah. in English, and of course, there's others in, you know, Italian, German, French, and so on. Um, I, uh, out of the tiny number of passages I've looked at, I guess one of the most striking is the way that different translators deal with the, the moment, which presumably you've just talked about, where Telemachus hangs the slave women. Right. And uh-huh. it was really striking to me to realize how many translators into English um, import words like sluts or whores and right. make Telemachus say, I'm hanging you because you're sluts, mm-hmm. whereas the Greek doesn't do that. And I find it really surprising that so many translators would would choose to 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 be so active mm-hmm. in terms of interpretation and also to me like this is a very debatable reading sure right. yeah. sure
1: sure sure
0: um the other thing that you've you've talked about when you're when you're translating like a specific character is like capturing their voice and mm-hmm. making their voice feel unique i was just wondering like we've got characters who we've kind of gravitated mm-hmm. toward but like what voices did you have the most like difficulty sort of capturing and making unique and then who did who who did you have the most fun with do you think
3: um I guess I had a lot of fun with Telemachus. Okay. I mean, with, <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about, I mean, to me, it's, it seems like the, the Odyssey traces these multiple different character arcs. And one of the most interesting is the journey of Telemachus towards adulthood, and he never actually gets there. Right. And the, just making sure that he's constantly um, frustrated, bullied, um, angry in this futile, angry teenager kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really fun to do. I, yeah, I couldn't I, decide if we liked him or or if we loved <laughs> to kind of see
0: our, <laughs> our
1: worst <laughs> selves in him. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, because Telemachus, like has multiple passages that basically amount to mom. Um,
3: I'm <laughs> <Like>, whining. <yeah. laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the mother of a teenager. And I'm very yeah. <laughs> conscious of that. I have been a teenager. I'm conscious of that, how those dialogues go. And the teenager tries to shut the mom up. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there with that.
1: Yeah, that but, for us has been part yes. of the you know, we first encounter these books, you know, certainly me in yeah. like high school mm-hmm. when you are when a you teen, are the teenager, you know. Yes. Right. And I don't even know that I even clocked that. I'm like, let me get to the part that I've heard about. Let me get to yes. the the adventure part. Well,
0: because I, I feel like mm-hmm. some, I'm not trying to pander, yes. but I am so many of the other Translations do do that, like they have that artificial register that you've you've mm-hmm. talked a lot about. That has kind of a flattening effect on a mm-hmm. lot of the on a lot of the speech and a lot of the the, the characters, and it just I don't remember it coming through as as mm-hmm. like clearly in other in other translations I've read. So, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. right. I mean, I, I think it's. To me, one of the, I mean, there were many reasons why I wanted to do a translation, but one reason was just feeling that there's there's a way that many translations make it seem as if all the characters are the same, right? mm-hmm. that they're, they're all vaguely heroized and always talking in this sort of very highfalutin way so that you mm-hmm. can't quite distinguish between who's talking now. And I, I actually think the poem, the original poem, is much more diverse in terms of its perspectives than that, mm-hmm. that, that actually Telemachus is very, very different in how he sees the world from how Penelope or... Class, and, he, and he would be because he's yes, he a, he's just yes. a boy. <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, yes.
1: do you think that's an attempt on some translator's part to capture a Homeric voice, mm. like they're trying to channel the poet specifically when they lend that kind of like epic quality?
3: I think so, but I also think how much is that projection, right? I mean, how much is mm-hmm. that a particular cultural perception within contemporary U.S. society about what we think? What it is. Back in the day, they were all. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's how they used to talk back then, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which doesn't actually correspond to anything. And no, what no. we know about a- the ancient reception of Homer involves, for instance, the fact that you know ancient drama all emerges out of Homer. It's all sort of. Uh, Slices from the Feast of Homer is what Aeschylus said. Oh, yes. There's this way that, certainly in classical Athens, people had a perception of Homer as both super enjoyable entertainment and also full of these great different characters. Mm -hmm.
1: Sure, sure. Um, How does this compare to working on plays? You've done Mm -hmm. a couple different play translations, some Seneca
3: I've done some Seneca, some Euripides. I just finished Oedipus Tyrannus. I think it's really... I found it really useful to have already worked on drama a great deal before doing Homer, but... Precisely for this reason, because I was already used to thinking about how do different characters interrelate with each other, how mm-hmm. do, how to how can I bring out different perspectives? Mm-hmm. Um, I also did, very much didn't want to make Homer sound exactly the same as Seneca, you know, right. because of course they don't; they sound mm-hmm. very very different. And I felt that you know when I was doing those translations of Seneca's tragedies, I was able to pull out, like, sort of go up to. Rev up to 110 or something for in terms of rhetorical bombast. Whereas with Homer, I didn't want to do that because it, that, is, that to me, isn't how Homeric Greek sounds. It's not bombastic in the same way that Senecan, um, I, both prose and poetry, is.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, another translation that you have said that you're working on is is the Iliad. Yes, I'm not going it. not
3: going <laughs>
0: <laughs> not going to ask when because I I assume that's what everybody time, asks. Yes. Um, but what is what's different about translating that story like is your is your process any different um are you noticing any any like different challenges as you as you work through Mm it
3: Um, So I guess I started, I thought for a while maybe I'm going to need a decade off before I get back (laughs) to the next one. And then I realized, no, I'm on a roll, I can keep going, Mm -hmm. I just do the prequel right away. And then now that I've started with it, I've spent a lot of the last few months feeling completely stuck because the world of it is so different, the Mm -hmm. mood is so different. I think there's a sort of lightness in the Odyssey that there isn't in the Iliad and there shouldn't be, that it actually should feel claustrophobic and intense and... Just figuring out how am I going to capture that is it's challenging and I, I need to reorient stylistically. And also just poetically, I mean, I've, I've thought, you know, I'm starting from scratch. This is a whole other poem. I don't have to use the same meter. I don't have to do the same things. I can. So I've been experimenting with different possible ways to do it just um, in, in literary terms. Sure. Well. Yeah.
1: Anything different that you're considering based on the, like the cast list, based on, you know, this is an the Odyssey is an Athena driven Mm-hmm. poem and is it Zeus in the Iliad right he's or in is, a lot of well, it he's in a lot more <laughs> yeah. of it right? does that <laughs> the
3: plan of Zeus is working to its end right so yes. so in the Odyssey the plan of Athena is is what's being worked out that's mm-hmm. yeah. the plot sure whereas uh, in the Iliad it's the it's the planet it's the very veiled and mysterious plan of Zeus whatever that means as well as, <laughs> as well as the, also the plan of Th- Thetis as well I mean it's, it's the supplication of Thetis being worked out the desire of one goddess to glorify her hero her- is what what happens in both poems mm-hmm. um I mean, a lot of it is just... I mean, a lot of the the difficulty that I'm working through right now is both about um, what kind of poem is it in terms of mood and them- thematics, mm-hmm. but also there are so many patronymics in the Iliad, right? Mm-hmm. The, whereas in the Odyssey, Odysseus is occasionally son of Laertes, but he's much more often polymechanos, polymetes. He's wily or he's crafty or he's clever or he's cunning. Um, whereas uh, Atreus and... and uh, son of Atreus like how do you put Mm -hmm. son of Atreus into a line in some other way right (laughs) whereas with other kinds of epithets you can think about creative uses of synonyms yes but with son of Atreus he's son of Atreus and then he's son of Atreus again there's no (laughs) synonym for son of Atreus beyond Atreus's son it takes up just as much of the line and I and I I do think sometimes maybe it's legitimate not to to have it every single time the guy's mentioned. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's it's kind of important because the whole poem is about male honor, male community, male society, homosocial groups and how they're broken and how they're reforged, Mm -hmm. which means that the fact that these guys are sort of jockeying for status among their group and part of the way they're doing it is both this is how many people I control, this is how many... St- how much stuff I've got, but also, whose son am I? Who's whose son was that? Where did I come sure. from? Where did I come yes. from? All that. So it's not like I can completely skip all these. I'm wondering if you
0: can get to like an Evillium style like, portmanteau that you can. that's one yes. of my
1: favorite parts. <laughs> Evillium is really
0: yeah. good. <laughs> yes. um, that segues into something else I wanted to ask about is um, in talking about translating the Odyssey. You say you said. It happened partly because you had sort of a support system lined up. You had you know a publisher who was interested. Your editor was interested, mm-hmm. but you also said that the book felt like it needed a new translation. Mm-hmm. Um, is I assume that's also true of of the Iliad? Like mm-hmm. what what about what about that book in our current time, or just what about translations of that that exist now? Like mm-hmm. what is what's falling short? Like what can we mm-hmm. what do we need from a new translation of the Iliad? Do you
3: mm-hmm. think it's I, I actually haven't. With the Odyssey, when I was about, when I was considering whether to do it or not, I spent um, spent a while. I re re-read, um, Book Nine in Greek, and then I read t- like twelve different versions, the book, like twelve of the current versions um, in English, and tried to figure out: Is there something that they're not doing that I would that I would do in what ways? Which of these would I choose to teach with? Um, in what ways do I think the world might or might not need need one? that would be different from sure. these... Um, I haven't done that with the Iliad, partly because I feel like I, st- I already kind of have a vision and I don't mm-hmm. want to look at look at them right now because <laughs> I already started. <laughs> sure. um, but I, I suspect that some of the same things are true of the Odyssey that are true of the Iliad. I mean, one mm-hmm. of my big drives um, for both poems is that most translations are in free verse rather than in metrical regular sure. verse. And that's true of the Iliad as well as of the Odyssey. Mine will definitely be a metrical regular verse. Mm-hmm. And I think that in itself makes a difference. I mean, I hope they're going to emerge as things that are different about my perspective on the characters in the poem, but I feel like I may not necessarily know all that ahead of time sure. to be able to say that. Sure. Ahead
0: of time. Is the goal still to hit the same number of lines as the original Greek, or is it going to be more difficult this I, time?
3: I, well, that's part of why I said I'm feeling frustrated right sure. now. I'm not, I think it might be more difficult because of what I was saying about how many Atreus is mm. there? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. So I'm still working, I'm still wrestling with that. we we'll <laughs> and,
1: and still wrestling with the particular form of. Met- metered I'm going do to do iambic pentameter. I, okay. I did
3: some experiments in hexameter, both dactylic hexameter and um, I, uh, alexandrines, and I don't didn't feel like I could convince myself that that would work. I so, feel like
1: I've read some of it in the dactylic, and it's very tough. There's a Merrill
3: translation of both the Odyssey and of the Iliad in dactylic hexameter, and he ends up, of course, doing a lot of scion of Atreus because the only way you can get a dactyl out of it is scion, (laughs) and
1: And you just have a bunch of people running around saying scion, which no one says (laughs) anymore. Yeah,
0: that's it's it's uh, both. There's a lot of it, and it also draws attention to itself because it's like a a vocab word. It's a vocab
3: (laughs) word. Whereas (laughs) Atreides is not a vocab word. It's Mm -hmm. just the way you express his particular, you know, group. Sure.
1: How has your relationship to the Odyssey changed since you've been through the translation? You've you've written and spoken a lot about how it's a poem about a guy who thinks he can go back to who he was mm-hmm. years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find a homecoming with the Odyssey? Mm-hmm. You know, you've been kind of living with the translation now that it's out there. Um, yeah, how is that?
3: Huh. That's really interesting, yes. I, I mean, that's a neat way of putting it because... I tend to have very little sympathy for the central fantasy that you can go back to. I <laughs> 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 But I think, I think, feel like I personally change all the time, and I, I don't feel all that much connection to who I was even last year, let mm-hmm. alone sure, know, twenty sure. or forty years ago. But then I also am aware that in you know going back to the Odyssey in the very very intense way that I have over the last few years, in a way that is a going back to my eight year old self as well as my. Twenty-year-old self when I was reading it in Greek for the first time, all these earlier selves where I've had different kinds of connections with the poem. Yeah. Um, so it's I mean it's not it's not like it's a stupid fantasy. It's just <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> a well, really interesting fantasy. And the
1: stakes for his homecoming are so high. And well, they're also yeah. so murderous
3: and man. Yeah, yes. My, <laughs> yeah, very different. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. What is what's the process of being edited like when you are working on a translation like this? I know that if I got a very like carefully considered pile of of prose in meter that had been very carefully worked out, I would be terrified to change anything. <laughs> <laughs> what is what? What's that like? Uh, versus you know a more conventional like like a nonfiction uh-huh. like a paper or something.
3: I mean, I think editors vary a lot. I was so grateful for, to have a both a very attentive. Um, smart and also hands-on kind of editor with this so that mm-hmm. Pete Simon at Norton read, every time I had a draft that I was close to happy with I would, of a particular book I would send it to him and he would do sort of line editing he doesn't know Greek but he would read it next to a couple of other English translations mm-hmm. and then comment both on things that seemed to be different in terms of the translations and then also on whether my sentences were weird, just as English sentences, sure. <laughs> which is just really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it meant that, that insofar as I kept um, some moments of sort of foreignizing or weird language, it was because I definitely thought about it and I wanted sure. it to, to have whatever weird effect it had mm-hmm. rather than just it sounds weird and I didn't even notice, which sure. <laughs> was just really cool. Um, and then it was also useful because, I mean, I, as I was saying a minute ago, I, I didn't look at other translations myself while I was working on it. But it was kind of useful to have somebody who was looking at them and then if there were sort of striking differences, would would call my attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, quite often the, he would say, but this is in the other translation. And I would say, well, it's not in the Greek. <laughs> <laughs> Why are all these
1: guys talking about this over yeah. here?
3: <laughs> but then I also shared it, and once uh, at later stages I also shared it with a couple of colleagues and graduate students. I would have little groups of graduate students. Mm-hmm. And that was also useful, because I wanted to figure out, does it work both for a reader who hasn't read the Greek and also for a reader who has read the Greek? Because mm-hmm. you know? I wanted different kinds of, it was were you
1: testing it at all by, like, reading it out loud to folks? Oh, yeah, I did yeah. that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Great. Yes. yes. I, we, we've had a lot of fun kind of just digging into some of the lines. And we're,
0: and we're very bad at it. And we're, <laughs> and we're sorry that we're so bad oh, at it. You but... <laughs> have fun with it. That's
1: great. How uh, were you – I think I've found a couple. But were you – how often were you consciously kind of breaking the meter for effect um, – was that a, a thing you were playing around with stylistically at all? Um,
3: i I wanted the re- meter to be really pretty regular, okay. um, but with um, obviously with inverted first feet and with you know 11 syllable lines quite often, um, but I wanted it to be pretty regular I mean i I wanted there to be sometimes a sense of it's speeding up or it's choppier yes. or th- those kinds of things. I mean I wanted to think hard about how meter can help you shape the pace yeah, yeah,
0: sure, sure, sure.
1: Um, what else? Do you want to talk about Odysseus, Andrew? A little, yes. I mean, let's dive I, I into assume the, the poem itself. <laughs> it's <good. Yes. laughs> um,
0: something that we we are having a lot of fun with this book and this translation, and I'm it. It is funnier than I remember it being mm-hmm. from from reading it in school. One question in particular I have though is: Are we supposed to laugh at Odysseus at any mm-hmm. point? Like, is is that the intent, or are we just kind of finding things that he is doing sort of humorous? Because Mm -hmm. he's like crying in the middle of parties and he's (laughs) (laughs) gloating about stuff that he's obviously done poorly.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a great question. I mean, I think it seems like uh, grown men crying a lot, that seems to be a feature of of the Homeric poems, yeah, it's not yeah. just Odysseus, who mm. cries quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, even Achilles, who I think is much less presented as kind of hilariously self-important. I mean, he's, self-important in a different, <laughs> he's self-important in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these various different ways yes. that the the constructs of um, you know male pomposity are, are figured in the Homeric <laughs> poems. <laughs> They're different in, in terms of the, the distinct male characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a culture where... Um, People were less afraid of screaming and crying when they're grieving. Sure, it's not like crying is in itself treated as mockable necessarily. Mm. But I, I also think there's—I mean—it's it's, it's also hard without a time machine to say you know, <laughs> exactly what did X Y Z listener in mm-hmm. you know the seventh century think about this, and also presumably listeners thought different things, right? Right. Just as we think different things, um, but I, th- I think there's some distance from Odysseus in the poem for sure. I mean, I think the. The perspective of different characters on Odysseus. There's both sort of internal critique of, mm-hmm. of, of the central character from other characters, and also the narrator is not sort of always looking through Odysseus's eyes. And sure. insofar so far as the narrator is not looking through Odysseus's eyes, maybe the narrator is laughing as well as sneering sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, also <laughs> valorizing. I think all all of those things are happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: I know. For us, it's not even laughing at the fact that crying is happening, but laughing at. Well is he like Odysseus is at Phaeacia right and yes. he is he has requested that the bard, like, tell a story about him, and then he makes himself cry. And I feel like that's that's funny, right? <laughs> like, that's yes. supposed to be funny.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think it's funny, but it's a complicated kind of funny, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because it's about all the tangle of his feelings about himself as a war hero sure. or war criminal, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's after that wonderful simile in which, in which Demodocus describes Odysseus' greatest triumph of the the wooden horse, but mm-hmm. then the way he describes it, he focuses not on and yay Odysseus was such a hero <laughs> yes. he, he was so smart and he wanted mm-hmm. to take the city and instead it focuses on and then this poor woman's husband dies and she's taken into slavery and it's the worst day of her life. True. And it's yeah. it's a disturbing kind of laugh mm-hmm. insofar as you're laughing.
1: Why does everyone lie to each other? <laughs> There's a lot of lying and disguises that we've had yes. a lot of fun with why is that such a feature is that a feature of this poem in particular? Or, or is that, you know, elsewhere in Homer that we just don't have a reference for?
3: It's this poem far more than than the Iliad, right? I mean yeah. that that Metis, Odysseus's sort of key character, superpower is the the mother of Athena, who's um, who was swallowed by his Zeus, and then mm-hmm. there, out she pops. But cunning, <laughs> cunning, 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 <laughs> cunning intelligence, right, sure, is sure. running through the poem as this thread of what is it that's being glorified? It's not necessarily courage. It's not necessarily sort of any of these other characteristics we think of as the hero's characteristics is cunning intelligence and the ability to think and scheme and lie your way out of any possibly dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. That's the the, the ability that he has more than any other hero in the mythic canon.
1: And is it being glorified? Because I also feel like it's also presenting some Costs
3: it's a as huge well, right? cost to, yeah. to almost everybody who doesn't have it. Right? <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's yes. a good way to think about it. Yeah, yes. for sure. But it's what enables him to survive and slaughter his enemies.
2: That's yeah.
3: true. Yes,
0: it's more the bits where like he and Athena are lying to each other, and they both kind of know that they're lying to each other, but they're doing part. it anyway. Like why? 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 What? What's? what's what are you doing?
3: <laughs> well, they're kind of flirting, right? Insofar sure. as a goddess and a human can flirt. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. But they're also <laughs> showing off, outsmarting each other. Yes, showcasing this wonderful quality of being able to tell stories. But it's also the quality that the poet himself or herself has, right? It's it's the the quality of fiction making and transforming one story into another.
1: Sure. That's interesting that you call it flirting, because then I'm also reminded that we only get like one moment of that between him and Penelope with the bed.
3: That's not flirting. (laughs) Well, no, that's not flirting,
1: but like where we get a... A kind of lie test between the two of them, whereas he gets to have this long, drawn-out relationship with Athena, obviously yes. throughout the whole poem. Right,
3: exactly. So that's, that's obviously the much, much more deep and also lifelong relationship is with Athena. Yeah, and long. Also, he has a much longer and one could say more intense connection with Calypso, the goddess of hiding, yep. or with Circe, whom, with whom he stays for a year. And then again, there's overlapping things mm-hmm. they have in common in terms of transformation and. Lies and, huh. this, mm. and transforming men. I mean, it, what exactly does he have in common with Penelope? I think that's a it's a real. It's a question. great question. <laughs> sure. I don't. Maybe they like the same music. I'm not sure. <laughs> we are not told. They all they like
0: all the same bards. Yeah. Yes,
3: <laughs> yes, but um, not the same as Telemachus. Right? I mean, He's the one who no. wants her to one side of switch. <laughs> 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 no <our> music down. <laughs>
0: Um, more on a more superficial level, I'm maybe I should remember this from school. I don't know why is everybody always why are they all oiling each other up all the time? <laughs> Not just with like olive oil, but also like figuratively with handsomeness and, <laughs> and, and muscles. Attractiveness, and,
2: yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess that's an extension of the the way that everybody's always. I mean, because of of course they they. They didn't have this, have soap and hand sanitizer sure. <laughs> the way that we do. Um, so it's it's partly just the the way that you get clean in general, and also it's a mark of elite status, right? I mean, sure. you're using this very expensive, you know, high labor costs kind of <laughs> substance to be all over yourself. Extra virgin extra olive oil on, in your bedroom. Yes. <laughs> yes. It just makes mm-hmm. my skin break yeah. out thinking
2: yes. about it's
0: being covered.
1: But in all
3: is, all this, there's also there's also a way of show, sort of showing that. Um, it, the most elite people in society use olive oil and sure. then the people who are a step above that who are closer to being a god are going mm-hmm. to use attractiveness as well. Sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: That is true. They are just getting that nice lotion straight from the gods. <laughs> yes.
3: Well, it is, yes, it is. Well, yeah, yeah. that's I mean, true. This.
1: That's true. I think what Laertes gets it at the end... Mm-hmm. Um, his father gets a little treatment at the end, I think.
3: Mm-hmm. But Penelope gets it, um, but I think only once. It's, primarily, it's Odysseus who gets the makeovers. <laughs> she's more <interested, laughs> Athena's more interested in him than anyone else. You know?
1: <laughs> um, do you? So, just to kind of get to stay on the themes of the work a little bit. The other thing that you mentioned in your translator's note, and that we've seen time and time again um, come up, is this theme of hospitality
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, for refugees, for the homeless, for veterans, and then it was striking to me how one of the biggest crimes that the suitors seem to commit is kind of both being inhospitable to Odysseus when he comes back, and then also taking advantage mm-hmm. of the hospi- hospitality of his home. Like, what does that theme feel like in the original text? How? What? I don't know how, how best I can ask that question, but like, what is the original poem kind of saying about that because um, mm-hmm. for me it, i i can only read it through like 21st century words and, and things that i'm mm-hmm. associating it with
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the the original the two key words which are interrelated are nostos of the homecoming or a journey home or a poem of homecoming so the the odyssey is a poem of of nostos and then xenia um, which connotes all the idealized relationship between the elite host and the guest in need. Um, so, the, so the stranger-guest-friend relationship. Okay. And of course, it's that whole cluster of words together that, is, that this stranger who's a potential guest friend mm-hmm. is, sure, is a Xenos. Sure. So Xenophobia, we, we usually think of that as that's a hostility to anybody who's not part of your household, part of your community, part of your, um, your nation. But a Xenos is a is a guest friend, ideally it's somebody who has entered your house and then you will eventually enter his house. Um, So presumably in an archaic Greek context, it's a period where Greek speakers are venturing out beyond their own little village and island and they're Mm -hmm. uh, trying to figure out, can we inhabit different homes. And the honesty is mm. sort of t- testing out the question of what would it be to have other homes that aren't this particular little scraggy island that I live on and maybe it would be some <laughs> other little island. How would they receive me? How would it be? Me? What would yes. it be like? And then what if other people come to my home? And then the 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 binary that we get multiple times in the poem of are you an evil pirate come to take all my stuff? <laughs> right. Oh, are you a lovely, lovely guest that I could have, I could network with? and <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> Maybe like and think about marrying my daughter or something. <laughs>
3: And then I'll give you some wine, and we'll do go through all the steps of uh, all the very very prescribed, the, the, the whole formal stages of we can show that we're all part of this mega culture uh, mm. um, by having these this sort of cultural practices. Do we know that, the dance? Do we yeah. know the dance? Do we know? Yeah. And at this stage, you offer the cup of wine, and then you have to have the right kind of poet, and you know all that. Yes. Yeah,
0: it seems almost like it'd be more profitable in this period, not to be a pirate, but to be a professional, like, nice guest
2: person who just (laughs) goes around.
3: uh, (laughs) But it's funny, right? I mean, the whole depiction of Iris the beggar, who's the professional homeless guy, Mm -hmm, that's a mm -hmm. very negative depiction. That's true, yeah. Yeah. So I think in a way that that sort of shows you how... you could say inconsistent, but how how much sort of cultural tension there is about do mm. we do we like or not like the idea of people who travel around all the time? Do we think it's okay to be always um, going into other people's houses and not really have one of your own? How mu- how far should you take this whole welcoming strangers thing? Sure, might it be that in fact you should welcome strangers if they're a god or a hero, mm-hmm. but not really if they're an actual person in need? Yeah, because that's they, they'd be kind of <laughs> nasty. It's it's dirty. interesting
0: because it it almost there's almost an element of. Fear, too. I don't know if fear is the word, but like you should be nice to everybody because they might be a god. And if they are, you'll be sorry about it. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Or they might be Odysseus. And again, you'll be sorry. So Mm -hmm. it's the same kind of thing. Because he has friends. But but, but (laughs) for whatever reason, they know that Iris is not a god. He's just a low-class person. Hmm. Yeah, that's different. That's a
1: different portrayal. Or. Because oftentimes when Odysseus is, he says this a couple of times, he pretends to be people who have like fallen on hard times. And that's a perennial theme is that there's a different class thing at at play there, I suppose, where it's like he is not just a slave who's been a slave his whole life. Mm -hmm. He is a guy who had a kingdom Mm -hmm. or had a house and then was sold into slavery. And then, you know, maybe we'll sell him to that other crazy guy across the ocean (laughs) if we don't like him anymore.
3: Right. But I think it's also really interesting about the depiction of slaves in this poem that... uh, Insofar as we get the backstory about any of them, it's Eurycleia and Eumaeus, both of whom are the same case, right? They're sure. both sure. people who've been sold into slavery. We get that long, heartbreaking story by Eumaeus about being trafficked and taken as a little boy. And the, he used to come from an elite household. He's not by birth a slave. Yes. So there's this idea that, in fact, anybody could, that could happen to anyone. Yeah, that's okay? true.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, I'm cu- kind of curious what your read on. I, I don't know if there's a consensus on this in scholarship, but what is the what's what's being done with the second person and Eumaeus? Like, what mm-hmm. what's being accomplished there? And I don't mm-hmm. know if maybe it's different in the Greek than it than it comes across in a translation, but.
3: Uh, it'd say I think it's really interesting and so in the Iliad um, Menelaus and Patroclus get get addressed in the second person mm-hmm. um, I think it's really interesting that it's only uh, it's only Eumaeus in the Odyssey who gets the second person address mm-hmm. um, some scholars say that doesn't matter that's just unimportant it's just a formulae but uh, it's just a formulaic element mm-hmm. um, which I think it could be a formulaic element, but it's still an interesting one that's the particular character. I think it says something about this whole nexus of things we're talking about, about the poem's really interestingly sort of contradictory set of... um, values about where does it position itself on the social scale? Mm-hmm. Right? Is it saying that the perspective we're seeing this story about an elite warrior coming back to his elite household and reestablishing his position in the hierarchy, mm-hmm. is that all being seen through the eyes of a, of a slave? Are we always talking to Eumaeus? Or are we always seeing through Eumaeus' eyes? And if so, what, does that, what, is, what is Eumaeus' perspective, that okay. he's somehow being centralized as the, the ideal reader of the Odyssey? Mm-hmm.
1: This might, this betrays my ignorance. I was not a classics major, thank you, though I do know a little bit about ancient Greek theater. (laughs) Um, Who is in your, it's probably different, but who do you think we should think about as the uh, stereotypical or or average listener to the poem if we're in, you know, archaic ancient Greece? Like, Mm -hmm. what do we know about, if If Homer was a a distinct person who who are they you know performing the poem mm-hmm. for?
3: well, I think it actually matters that Homer, even if there was a single person putting the the poem together, yeah. mm-hmm. it's the voice of a tradition, and it's a it's a tradition that's speaking to multiple people. I think it's always it's sort of i mean as soon as you have something that's almost always performed out loud then. It's very you rare anyone? that you, ha- you have the doors closed so that only one person can hear. It's, it's for an audience. And it's for multiple people. And is it for
1: a distinct class at all, are we to understand? Or would it just kind of been out there as part of the cultural tradition for everyone? Mm-hmm.
3: That's a really good question. I mean, there are different possible reads, right, about what is it saying about the, the elite household or the arist- aristocratic household. Um, Odysseus' household is being presented as, in a way, new wealth, right? It's been built up by okay. Laertes and then more by Odysseus himself. It's mm-hmm. it's a growing set of wealth as opposed to this is a stable, always they've always been rich and they always should be rich kind of thing. And I think the prominence of the slave characters sort of gives you, gives you and also the ways that slave characters um, are both honorable, likable, in some ways more likable and less... Um, Less pompous than Odysseus himself, that also gives you a sort of way of seeing that you could be a slave listener and not feel that you were being mocked by this poem. Yeah, very easily. Sure. Um, you could be a female listener and not feel you were being mocked by this poem as well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, so I, I, I think it does a really great job. I mean, just just as Shakespeare does, does of of sort of making sure that multiple different classes within the audience are not going to are going to feel like this plays for me. You know? Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um we talked a little bit about Telemachus earlier. Did you want to ask your other Telemachus question? Oh yeah, question? just
1: um you know, where does where does his petulance, where does his teenage boydom kind of fit into the larger themes of a of a poem of homecoming? Do you mm-hmm. think
3: I think it fits in part. I mean, I think it's related. It's the counterpart to um, if Odysseus is coming. What you were you asking for before about how this is a poem about a return, not just to a place, but to a old identity, an old an old social position, but also an old self, a, a whole, an old way of being within the household, within the family. Um, Odysseus's return to that identity relies on Telemachus has to stay a little boy because otherwise that threatens his father's homecoming. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it also relates to um, sort of questions about does, does does identity actually stay fixed over time, or if we have this story about a journey towards adulthood, presumably that that relies on the idea that a, that a Telemachus who's a little boy is going to be different from the Telemachus who's Twenty-five or thirty. So I think it also speaks to the way the poem is sort of questioning its own fantasy that it's. We have Odysseus saying, "I'm going to go back. I'm I'm going to be that Odysseus. I'm going to be the warrior Odysseus, and I'm going to be the the paterfamilias Odysseus again." And we also have Penelope saying, "I've actually been changed by these twenty years. My bed is marked. My face is marked. I'm different." And Telemachus also is changed by. He's actually somewhat different from the way he was when he was a newborn baby. You might yes, think. Yes, yes. You, know, <laughs> you would think. Helen, Helen doesn't seem to notice, but it, most people would think <laughs> that a newborn baby and a grown-up are, are somewhat different. Yeah. So I think it fits into that question about, is does home mean something which is totally static over time? Mm. If you're going back to your home, does that mean it's got to be the same home? What does it mean to be the same home? It has to be the same you as well. Mm-hmm. Is sure. that possible?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. No, it's just like <laughs> giving us a lot to think about. Um, I know you're very busy with the Iliad. You teach. You do interviews with like any old podcaster who can <laughs> get your email address. <laughs> um, have you ever? Cause everything I found in your bibliography was was you know it was, it was um, nonfiction or like academic stuff or other translations. Have you thought about doing original fiction at all? Like, is that any kind of an itch that you've that you've got? <laughs>
3: I've thought about it. I, I, I don't know. Maybe one day. <laughs> when I thought about doing I, I sometimes write original poems too, but not very well. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe one day. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Are
1: there other works that, you know, m- market interest aside, professional obligations aside, um, time and money aside, that you would love to just carve out the time for a translation of? Mm-hmm. Aside I from know, yes, like you're thing. working on the Iliad now. <laughs> <you know? laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's that's gonna that really is gonna take a while, and I can't sort of sign up for lots of others. Sure, the, there are so many though. Um, yeah, when I I I do feel that there are a lot that are, that would be really fun and interesting to do, but that would also I don't want to just do them because it's fun and it's interesting for me, as mm-hmm. opposed to if there's already a great translation out there. Maybe sure. I don't. Maybe that actually isn't the best use of anyone's time and resources. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I feel like everyone should actually ask that question. You know? Yeah, it's like um, what what can I be adding to the, add to the larger understanding? And, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and, and you've got you know a. a profile now obviously and and you could um, maybe bring some attention to some like underappreciated mm-hmm. works that that maybe are undertaught or under translated I don't know if there's anything like that that mm-hmm. exists that's kind of obscure that that you would be mm-hmm. curious about but
3: yeah i'm thinking about that right now <laughs> yeah. yes. and in fact a student a graduate student who just a scholar who just finished is involved in there's a project to translate all the scholia on homer mm-hmm. i mean all the ancient comments on homer mm-hmm. which extraordinarily enough there isn't a easily accessible english translation of all those which i think is super interesting and hmm. will be a useful addition how to far the do those go back
1: like timeline wise are they what is that like where is that in the chronology? Um,
3: um, second and third century, okay. that kind of thing. Okay. When, wow. when Homeric scholarship first started, with yeah, like Aristarchus. Great. I mean, mm-hmm. mostly quoted, or quoted by other people, but yeah.
1: Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Um, are you reading any contemporary authors these days? Or are you really steeped in the ancients?
3: Um, <laughs> I, do, I do read contemporary authors. I'm just trying, struggling to think what I just recently read. I don't know. <laughs> i read a lot of novels um what what have i read recently i'm not sure (laughs) i'm not going to come up with a good answer no that's okay that's fine
0: (laughs) we're just wondering when people ask me that too like if i'm at a party or something and people say what are you reading lately i have a podcast and my mind goes blank blank like i got got nothing
3: (laughs) i'm actually in the middle of milkman have you read that
0: no Mm -mm. what is that
3: it won the, I think, the Man Booker or one, oh, of the, okay. um, <laughs> one of those prizes. Okay, one of those. <things? laughs> it's, it's really interesting. It's it's set in a place which seems reminiscent of Northern Ireland, but there's no, um, there are no names, there are no no place names, no character names, and it's just an sort of evocation of a of a society where there's this extraordinary partisanship which doesn't make any sense at all to, to the to the protagonist or to anyone. Huh. It's it's really good. Sure. Mm, cool. All right. Cool.
0: Mm. Um, and what else? I think? I think we're at the end of our list of prepared questions. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, I guess just as a like a you know parting gift for our listeners, are there any tips that you would give folks who are like interested in reading translations? Um, Save you know not everybody can learn ancient Greek and then go right to the, the you know the source themselves. <laughs> so what are some tips for getting the most out of different translations or or reading work by trans you know authors mm-hmm. that are translating ancient texts?
3: Hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I, I always find it interesting to look at more, like, even just a page in more than one translation. I mean, sure. if you're just shopping around in the bookstore or in the library and you can look at, if, if, if it's a text that has been translated more than more than once, it's always really interesting. And even if you don't know the original language, I mean, I sort of do that with Japanese novels. And I sort mm. of see that, oh, actually, I don't know a, a word of Japanese, but I can see how there are different things going on. Um, so I think that's always fun. I also think if there is a translator's note, it's always really useful to mm. to read that. I and mean, I, I think it would be great if all translations had some kind of note from the translator. <laughs> like, this right. is what I was trying to do. You know? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and that, when we read yours, we talked about it a lot, and I know it's done a lot to inform our like reading of of the work overall. Like, mm. I think you mentioned the the hanging of the slave women in that note, and then. Like a year later we finally we finally yeah. read it but and can talk that. about
2: <laughs>
1: it. Yeah. And it's interesting because it kind of creates a like a meta experience of reading your translation. Like when are we going to get to that thing that the translator has deemed worthy of, you know, or imperative that gets mentioned up front. Right. Mm-hmm. Um one yeah. of the things you should be thinking about is this as you <laughs> dive yeah. into the work. it's yeah. fun.
3: Yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of translations don't have a translator's note and many many translations have you know, other classical texts, including the Odyssey, don't have an introduction by the translator too. I think, which also I think makes a difference. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's not that that's necessarily worse, but it means you're getting multiple different um, sort of interpretations sure. of the same mm-hmm. text. Sure.
1: sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Emily, thank you so thank much you for said. taking the time, and thank you for your wonderful translation that we've been spending the last year with <laughs> yeah thank you i'm
3: honored that you've done that thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you yes
0: cool um so cool. i know you are um you're on twitter at emily rc wilson yep. you have uh, EmilyRCWilson.com rc is your website is there anywhere else you would direct people if if they're that's looking that's for enough, more information you. about <laughs> you okay good <laughs> you great <laughs> okay cool i think we're I that's think great. We're finished. Great. Thank, thank you so much thank you yes that's really great it's fun to talk to
2: you. <laughs> break it down
1: Camera time.